uh, we're going to dive in. If you're uh, new, visiting, first time, just want you guys to know this is uh, just very simply at its basic form. We want you to understand we're worshiping a person, a real God, not uh, just some uh, mythical idea, but an actual uh, fact, an identity, a place, uh, and a person that actually happened, and that's Jesus Christ, the one who rescued us from Satan, sin, and death, and bore it all in himself on a cross, and rose saying, hey, I defeated Satan, sin, and death, and I can indwell you with my spirit, and I can empower you for the life that God has asked us to live, which is really reconciled to the living God and not uh, in our dead sin apart from the living God. And so uh, it's been great to look at lots of books. We walk through books of the Bible and just kind of teach them, praying that the full counsel of God's word would somehow uh, shape us and teach us. So we love to just take books and plow through. So we came out of Luke. We spent about two years in Luke. And now uh, for the summer, we're in Ecclesiastes. We're going to wrap up Ecclesiastes uh, right at the beginning of September uh, and then probably uh, teach through a lot of just who we are in our identity as a church. Uh, and then I don't know the book that will be next, so you guys can be praying about that. Um, I've gotten lots of recommendations from you, and all I can say is when the Holy Spirit says that's it, I'll let you know. So, um, But we're thrilled that you're here with us. We know there's also a lot of new people, a lot of new faces. That's why uh, also our growth groups ministry is going to be necessary for us. So many of you have inquired, how do I get connected? How do I meet other people? Some of you guys are new to the faith. Some of you guys are new to just church. Some of you guys have been attending, and you're just trying to find out how all those lanes work themselves out, and so we want to help as best best we can in ushering you all into a place where you're going to see more of Jesus Christ and love more of Jesus Christ. So um, that's our hope at the end of the day. And so uh, that's the focal point of everything. So we give because we want to see uh, Jesus Christ and more of him through our generosity because he was super generous in giving himself to us. So if you're not a regular tender member, don't give. That's not why, we've, uh, why we're thrilled you're here. We're thrilled that you're going to hear about the story of redemption in Jesus Christ. For those that do give, you know the silver boxes in the back is where we give. Uh, we also worship this person uh, and work of Jesus by t- taking the Lord's Supper. That's where we're nourished by the saving benefits of his work for us. We remember that. We, we taste that. We enjoy that. We receive that in a way that reminds us of who we are as a called people of God. We also worship him by sitting under preaching. Now, you need to know that um, the, the word of God is inerrant. Uh, the preacher is errant. So uh, we pray all the time that, that the Holy Spirit of God would deafen your ears to things that you shouldn't hear and shouldn't know, and that he would keep things in your mind, that things that you should hear, and God does want you to know. So we love to preach. We love to sing, right? We love to sing because God deserves and demands singing from our lips, and we want to sing about Jesus. We want to sing about the things that Jesus has done, and that's why as we sing, we marvel at and remember the great ways that God has worked in our lives. So um, that's who we are. That's what we're doing right now. We're just worshiping Jesus Christ. So um, we mentioned last week, and I want to continue to impress this on us, um, especially uh, Solomon's plea for wisdom, because we're looking at a book that is is wisdom in nature. So it's not a book like Luke where, hey, we're just uh, rolling through looking at the life of Jesus Christ, looking at his teachings, looking at his works, going, well, that's pretty clear. That's pretty evident. Um, This is, uh, there are some gray areas to where Solomon wants to lay before you you truths so that you can get to the ultimate truth of the God who lives over the sun. Well, um, he's been alluding to throughout this uh, memoir that he's writing, and particularly last week, and he's going to continue to show it this week, that um, you need an active agent to actually help you discern and know these realities, and that's the Holy Spirit. And we talked last week how we are totally by nature dependent on ourselves. Our self-sufficiency barometer is off the charts, right? We, we do not believe we rely on God. We do not believe we 
rely on the Spirit. We do not believe that we need guidance, that we need clarity, that we need wisdom outside of ourselves. We think our human you know, intuition and ingenuity is going to make out the matrix for life. And I said, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how much oratory flair you see up here. It doesn't matter how much charisma you see. It doesn't matter what uh, even verses you hear. It doesn't matter even the language you hear. What matters is the Holy Spirit of God indwells you and then does something in you to allow you to see and bring about the full work that God wants you to have. Now, we have to learn as Christians to appeal to him and ask him. I mean, how often do we just plow through life or read a book or look at wisdom literature going, okay, I think I've got it figured out now. We're void of prayer connected with his spirit, connected with his word. All three of those things have to work in the nice big community that God has established for anything to really happen in your life. So nothing's going to happen to you if you come in here and think by osmosis, you absorbing some sermon words and singing some songs, you're somehow going to leave changed. It's not going to happen. You can do it your whole life. The rest of Christendom, you can try it, and it's just not going to go well for you. So we need to learn as a disciplined people to discipline ourselves in asking him to do something, being aware and attuned to the Spirit's work in our life. So again, I want you to just have space for a second to ask the Holy Spirit. He is God. He is a member of the Trinity. We do worship him. He is a person. We're going to say, hey, would you do something in me? Would you reveal what you need to reveal to me? That's the beauty of the word. The word goes out, yet it falls in the magnificent ways that God wants it to fall on each heart differently. Right? I don't know how you come in, but God calls the Holy Spirit the comforter, the guider, the protector, the helper, the offer of wisdom, the instructor, the counselor. So whatever aspect God needs to do for you, Um, let's do business with them right now. So uh, take a moment to say, Holy Spirit of God, lead me, illuminate me, comfort me, guide me, protect me from error. Maybe you're coming to this room wrestling with doubts and misunderstandings and you need God to speak in a way that's clear. Maybe you need him to comfort you because it's hard to even hear this morning because other things are weighing so deeply upon you. Plead with the sovereign God to do a sovereign work through his sovereign spirit in your heart. Father, thank you that you're not imaginary and thank you that God, you in your Trinitarian nature and infinite perfections is all that we need. God, you say all that we need for life and godliness. So would you provide every bit that we need for life and godliness this morning? Would you multiply the word in our hearts so that it might reverberate from us in ways that are fruitful and helpful? In Jesus' name, amen. Man, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, and what's going to happen is you're going to start to see this morning um, Solomon's uh, older age is going to be more apparent because he's just going to start repeating a lot of what he's already said. So uh, he's basically going to start summarizing chapters 1 through 8. You're going to see this over and over and over and over. That's why Ecclesiastes, if you miss his method, you miss his message altogether because he's, he, he's kind of roundabout in circular ways. He kind of comes back and says the same thing again, really because he just wants you to understand and wants you to hear what he's saying, okay? 
okay? He wants you to examine your life under the sun. He wants you to realize you can't just um, know a God who's given himself through revelation just by your own human speculation. Like, we need to think about these things and consider these things and consider death and consider meaning and consider his gifts and consider who we are and sin and his holiness. And so um, he's going to show us this morning basically a review. And so uh, we're not going to cover every last detail, but just expand on the elements that I believe are new to us. But uh, before that, last week, um, we saw that in a wicked, depraved, harsh, unjust, unfair life, how do you live? That's basically what Solomon was saying. How, how do we live under the sun with this God who dwells over the sun? And we saw you submit to the truths of God. You live an obedient life, fueled and empowered by his Holy Spirit. And then when you've done all that, Solomon says, I recommend you trying to have some fun. Now, some of you guys, your head exploded when you heard that because you think God's a cosmic killjoy that beats people for smiling, okay? This is, this is a God who says, hey, as my son, as my daughter, I want you to actually enjoy life. I know, I know, crazy concept, but God actually loves you as a father. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he is filled with wrath towards sin. Yes, he is just. Yes, he absolutely is right in punishing sinners. But man, in Christ, adopted into the new family, you get more than just this God that's withholding wrath. You get a God who turns to Father, where our hearts cry out, Abba, and we actually long to be with him, and he longs to be with us, and he longs to care for us in that way. So now he gives gifts to us. He gives work. He gives vocation. He gives food. He gives good drink. He gives relationships, all so that we might enjoy him more and his glory might expand. So we got to understand that, that this morning is, is good in the sense that if you're a Christian, if you're adopted into the kingdom of God, he actually wants you to enjoy your life. And so we saw that he commended that last week. Don't just endure your life. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Um, eat, drink, laugh. Go to bed trusting that the sovereign God, because the rest is in his hands. And we saw that if you can't take a nap, if you can't breathe, if you can't slow down, if you think the world's going to cease to be a good place by your actions, we have a God issue. And so here's what he's going to say in chapter 9. He's going to continue this thought and continue to help us understand what does it mean to live under the sun if we are tied to the God who's over the sun. Chapter 9, verse 1, he says this, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. What? Everything he's been saying. Death, delight, meaning, the vanity of just possessions untethered to him. Right? Loving all the stuff that he's given when we don't love him. The vanity of a life unattached to God. He says how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, right? Uh, acknowledging again his sovereign rule and reign. That everything at the end of the day is in his lap. And then he says this, whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to everybody. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Okay, what in the world 
is Solomon. He's getting old and senile. I mean, it, you start seeing these things going, man, are you making sense? Well, here's what he's doing. He's, he's returning us back to this common theme of death, which we have talked about over and over and over, how death comes for all of us. And, and I think the reason this is interesting, the reason why he brings this up is because I think if we're honest in our weaker moments, we really want to believe that in the end of all of this, um, worse things happen for the bad guys and better things somehow happen for the good guys. Right, so I mean, there can't be some universal landing place. And he's reminding us that death is the universal landing place. Solomon says, under the sun, everybody suffers the same fate. Right, whether when you were in school and stole lunch, or whether you paid money for lunch. Right, whether somebody cheats on their taxes and lives off that income, or doesn't cheat on their taxes and lives off that income. Everyone suffers the same fate, the honest man, the lying man, the righteous man, the wicked man. Just look at it. It says, in the end of the day, all of us are going to the ground six feet under, right? I mean, that's the end for everybody. So he goes, this seems maddening. This seems perplexing if this is all there is. If, if everybody lives the same and it doesn't really matter, there's no justice, which we've talked about for weeks. If, if there's no life after this, if we don't come from anywhere, we're headed to nowhere, then this life now is totally meaningless. Yet we believe right as Christians we come from God or headed to God so life now is deeply and profoundly meaningful. So this is not fatalism. Right? This is not the belief that nothing here matters so we just do what we want or put ourselves in bomb suits and blow up other things. This is a God that loves. This is a, a belief that settles into your soul and causes action to love that God and serve others. It's unlike any other belief under the sun because it's the only belief that has the God over the sun. And this is why he's framing all this under the sun right now. He's making distinctions. You have to understand that as you read this, this whole memoir, he talks often about under the sun and then over the sun. So if this is solely speculation without divine revelation, he says death will be totally perplexing because you're going to see all of these events and tend to believe that good things happen to good people and bad things to bad people, but the worst thing, death, happens to everybody. So how does that work out for our karma? How does it work out for our other belief systems? Because everyone, he says, is at the end of the day full of evil. Now, this just gets back to what he said repeatedly again, that we are by nature and choice sinful men and women. We all are products of the fall in Genesis 3, so we all desire to fundamentally at our core be God and not worship the true living God. So the scriptures say there is a living God. That's his name over and over and over again. And here you see that because of that sin, death is brought in. Death is a product of the fall. Death is a product of our sin. And so we need to be tied to the living God, right? The only way to be tied to the living God is Jesus Christ. Who reconciles dead people to a live Savior? So here's what's amazing. He's making the distinction of it's not about you being a good person or a bad person. That's that's religion, that's morality, that's you trying to somehow earn your way and merit your way to some higher deity where you can finally sit before him, lay out your cards, and say, Hey, have I done enough? No, he's trying to distinguish you need to be a living person and not a dead person. Now that's profound. You go to the New Testament and you see all the places where Christ does something crazy. He doesn't just make us new, he makes us alive. That's the language in the Bible. That you were once dead in trespasses and sins. You did not want God. Ephesians 2, right? And he comes along, wakes you up from your stupor and says, get up, rise, be made new. Here's my spirit, advance the kingdom and cause of Christ and you have me for eternity to enjoy. Amazing, right? So he's showing us it's not about these moralities because you're going to look at life your whole, all, all, 
as you go into work, I mean, we talked about this two weeks ago, right? And last week. The insanity of just seeing the ways that the wicked prosper and the righteous seem to suffer. Because you've got to be careful how you see the world. Be careful what lens you wear. Because here he's showing that we need to be made alive. That's why he gives this proverb, right? A live dog is better than a dead lion. Um, this just speaks to opportunity while you're alive. See, listen, if I were to ask everybody, do I want to be a lion or do I want to be a dog? I think most of us, at least the alpha males in the room, we're going, I'm, going to, I'm picking lion, right? Some of you are like, I like dogs. Well, we can trample you. We can eat you. I mean, we can just do whatever we want to you. So if you really want to be king of the top, you want lion. Here's what he's just showing by just animal kingdom language that, listen, if the dog, if the lion's dead, who cares what you are? You're still better off because you're alive. You have no influence after you pass from this life. You're cut off, right? It's once for man to be appointed to death and then comes judgment, Hebrews 9. So he's saying, hey, actually, you've got a gift right now because you're alive. It's better to be, I don't care if you're a rat, squirrel, something else other than a lion. If that thing is alive and the lion is dead, you're still better off because you're living. You could have it much worse. You could be dead. So he's trying to push us to this understanding that this is a gift that you're not like the dead in that you are living. Here's the basic simple question, right? You're alive, right? We're here because we are alive. God has not appointed our time to pass from this life yet. So Solomon's laying before you, are you making opportunity of your time? I mean, are you engaging with the things of God? Is your whole life defined by self-pity? Instead of what God has for you, what God's called you into, and what awaits you. Is your whole life defined by complaining? When God's saying, it's all in my sovereign lap, won't you enjoy who I am right now in the present because I'm the same God you're going to be with in the future? If you're not a Christian, right, are you, are you, are you playing games with him? I mean, when are you going to use your opportunity that he has kept you alive in his patient grace to call you to himself that salvation can still be found? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Last week, none of us know anything that's ahead, right? We all want to believe we do, but none of us do. So all we know about tomorrow is the sun's going to come up. That's about all we know and all we can hope for unless God changes his mind. So how do we deal with life? Are we living in the opportunity as a live dog and or wishing, oh, I wish I was the lion? Well, he's dead. Let's take advantage of the opportunity before us. This has been what he's been pressing us in this entire time as he's been talking. How do we use our time? And he's going to show us, though, if we have God, the ways that we can. But Solomon first is going to ride his own coattails from last week, about not just enduring your life, but enjoying your life. He continues this thought. Uh, Since your time is uncertain under the sun and all is in God's lap at the end of the day, this is verse 1, right? All the deeds are in the hand of God. This was uh, continued throughout uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, pursue meaning, life, and beauty, and you might be missing opportunities for that right in front of your face. Verse 7. Oh, wait. Did I skip? Hold on. I skipped a text. Wow. I jumped so ahead. I was so excited to get there. Let's transition first, okay? Here's what I'm going to say. So delete that if you're taking notes or keep it. 
move it down. Okay, here's what he's going to do, okay? He's showing all this under the sun, death comes judgment. Okay, he's transitioning to say, uh, life between now and meeting Jesus. Okay, if this is all true, one through four, if this is all true, um, this speaks to opportunity while we are alive, either for your final condemnation when it all ends or your final justification. So what do we do now? How do we understand the here and now? He says it really matters, right? Because once you die, there's no extra innings. There's no overtime. Look at verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten, and their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that's done under the sun. Solomon says, you spend your whole life thinking about how you cannot prepare for your death, but how you can extend your life. Right? So let's do the diet. Let's eat organic. Let's join all the fit clubs. Let's just have all these different systems where we eat right and exercise right, meet with our counselors, meet with our dietitians, and then at the end of the day, what? We're all going to die. Now, I'm not saying we don't love our body. That's a separate sermon, right? I mean, yes, you, you care for what you eat. Yes, your body's the temple, right? Okay, so, so we've got all that. But listen, he's saying at the end of the day, you can do all you want to try to extend your life, but at the end of the day, all of us are hitting the same dark place of death. Right? You can only extend your life to a certain extent. And he goes, instead of preparing for your funeral, you're trying to prepare for how you can extend your life here. He's showing that our funeral is important. He's showing that when we die is important. Because listen, your love, whether you love, hate, or envy, he says, that'll all be gone. You have no influence anymore once you part from this life, right? So how are we using our time? Time is a gift. And this is where he wants to set us up for verse 7. That let's enjoy our life rightly. If this is true, if Jesus is returning, if death is imminent, yes, we have zeal for the kingdom. Yes, we share our faith. Yes, we give generously. He's talked about those things. Now he's getting to the other side that's actually really freeing for us as Christians knowing God actually wants you to be happy. Now, I don't mean happy based upon what you think you need to be happy or what you think your life and your, the planets in your solar system need to look like to be happy. But I'm saying with, with your portion, he'll say, what God has given you, enjoy it and steward it well. Look at verse 7. He's going to show that opportunities might be right in front of you for meaning, life, and beauty. Verse 7, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let, your, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Husbands, all the days of your vain life. I love his just crassness. Do these things. It's a vain life otherwise. You have gifts right before you that God's given you. Under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Notice the first word, go. Some of us are like, wait, God doesn't say go. He says no. Right, no, he's saying go after it. This is, some of us view God as a God who says stop, don't ever touch, always wet paint, always a fire, can't do anything you want to do, can't ever laugh, can't ever spend your money, can't ever enjoy the blessings that God gives you, just stay in this confined room that's white that you can't touch or ever leave. And Solomon's freeing you from, okay, yes, don't worship them as God, but enjoy them as good gifts from the giver. 
so that God might be glorified. He says, go. He's actually getting into ways that we actually grow in our holiness. Now, some of us think that holiness is strictly tied to ways we just put sin to death. Well, yeah, putting sin to death is by absolutely putting to death the deeds of the flesh, making sure that God is preeminent, that Christ is preeminent, but it's also putting to death silly notions. It's also putting to death the arrogance when God says, here you go, and you say, no, I don't want that. And God's going, you're my kid. You're my son. You're my daughter. I I beg most of us don't ever view him as that. And that's absolutely biblical. It's absolutely nourishing. It's absolutely necessary for your sanity. So here he's showing us the scriptures are saying that good food, good drink, good wine are to be enjoyed with good friends who have good senses of humor. To enjoy God. It should make you love God more. Now, I see a couple ways this usually breaks down. (laughs) When we start talking about stuff like this. Uh, From meeting with a lot of people, there's kind of three areas where I I think we got to be careful. Okay? So I'm just going to address them. And this might be you. Okay? Um, The first person is this person who says, "Um, I'm never allowed to enjoy anything that God gives. So uh, worldly enjoyments are totally off the table. Um, So I need to be miserable. I can't laugh. I can't enjoy a good meal. Um, And I'm such a wretch. I'm such a sinner. I'm so despicable that I'm just going to punish myself. And and yes, you are a wretch. (laughs) Yes, you are despicable in our sin. We are. Yes, we are cast aside from God. Yes. In Christ, he takes you in as dad. And you know what he's saying to those of us in that place? Are you done? Are, are, you, are you done your whining? I'm wretch, I'm miserable, I'm despicable, I'm such a sinner. Okay, yes, but are you done? I mean, Christ cleansed you. Like Christ brought you up from there. Christ made you new. So he's saying, man, why don't you go and enjoy these things? Why don't you walk as a redeemed son and daughter of God? Why are you staying in this place? of? Because here's what's amazing. man. So you're beating yourself up when Jesus took all your beatings already, took all your mockings for you, took all your lashings for you. So you're trying to add to Christ. You're trying to add on this punishment that he never asked you to give or take. Some of us seriously need to consider our mentality towards our Father. So it's one of the ways we're going to read this, and I need to be careful because I know some of us believe this way or think this way. And so he's going to show that you're not being noble, you're being pathetic. And he's going, hey, how about we uh, go swim in the pool? And how, how about you enjoy the food that I made? How about you enjoy the relationships I've given to you? How about you enjoy the children that I've given? How about you enjoy the spouse that I've provided? How about you enjoy the friends that you love, the life that you share? Number two. Uh, The other way I see this breakdown is um, God is never, ever happy with you. Ever. So you can't imagine anywhere in the Bible him saying, go enjoy. And because he's never happy with you, you think he's either a prison ward or you think he is that school teacher that just always sent you the principal's office where he is just waiting for you to screw up and he can't wait to slam the gavel. You know what this creates in you? 
rebellion. So these are the rebellious kind. These are the rebellious people that, that they roar against that and go, fine, I'm going to rebel because God doesn't want me to be happy. He doesn't want me to enjoy anything. He wants to be miserable, live on an island, have no friends, and just suffer the rest of my life. Well, absolutely we may suffer. We will suffer. But listen, we're suffering for the king of kings. And listen, he, underneath all that, gives us reasons to find great joy. And he does give us kind gifts. Maybe you're someone who believes that. Maybe uh, this is you. You believe sin and fun are synonymous. And you think God and fun are antonymous. Right? Solomon's going to help us clear that up. Uh, Number three. Uh, Then you have one that says, because God is loving, let's just abuse his grace. Right? Christ just does... All these things for me. Christ, you know, dies on the cross for me. Christ gives me all of these things. So I can just do what I want. This is Romans 6, right? Why are you just continuing to sin so that grace may abound? So you think this gives you a license to do whatever in the world you want. And he's showing that that's not good either. So be careful, right? There's, a, there's good guardrails that, he's, that we need to put on before we enter into this space, which is he's not also calling you to abuse his grace. He's not calling you to just dive into sin. He's not calling you to abuse the gifts and pervert the gifts that God has given. But he's calling us to use them and steward them in such a way that they are good and enjoyable. Now here's what happens. These different people just start fighting each other. Right? No, you can't be happy. No, you can't enjoy what God gives. No, you need to just do whatever you want. Why are you such a legalist? I mean, they just make fights and war all day long, so here he's going to show, no, Solomon provides a better way with better wisdom, with better advice, and he says God redeems all of that in Christ and his gospel so we can now enjoy rightly everything he's given, not making it God, but not defaming his name and in our arrogance belittling his goodness to us as his kids. And so here he says, go. He says, life has been redeemed to be enjoyed with God. He says, don't let oil be lacking on your head. That's just a consistent reference to the Holy Spirit throughout the scriptures. He's saying, all of these things you do, you now do with God. You don't do alone when you drink your wine. You don't do it depressed. You don't do it wallowing in self-pity. You don't do it because you're discouraged. You do it with good friends who are laughing and enjoying Jesus and the conversation centered on his name. You're doing all these things tied to God now. You're enjoying his gifts in such a way where there's rich community. There's holiness. So listen, guys, and I have, to, I have to say this to me, okay? Sabbath is a gift. I know. If you know me, you know. I don't enjoy it as a gift. I don't take off. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it to be honest. That's, that is a rebuke against a God who's saying, you think you control life. You think you keep everything in order? Sabbath is a gift. Food is a gift. Not to be a glutton. Not to abuse it. To enjoy it. Good wine, he says, is a gift. Good friendships are a gift. Good friends are a gift. Your spouse is a gift. So he doesn't say yes to everything. He says yes to the right things. And he says yes to good things as a dad. Now here's the thing. He says eat and drink with a merry heart. The problem is um, 
It's not what you eat and drink, it's who you eat and drink for. So we're eating and drinking for the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians, right? We do all these things to celebrate God and celebrate his goodness. So this doesn't mean that he's saying you have to go have filet and crab cakes. Okay, for some of you guys, your portion, okay, we don't judge one another. Your portion might be filet and crab cakes. That meal just causes you to enjoy God, enjoy what he's given. For others of you, it might just be fish and chips. Man, you college students might be ramen noodles. I don't know. Maybe you're going, man, that's, that's what I enjoy to the glory of God. That's my portion. I don't know what your portion is. Stop looking at others. Look at what God has put before you and enjoy that portion. Don't look at someone else's spouse. Enjoy your own spouse. Don't enjoy someone else's life. Enjoy your own life. Enjoy your portion, he says. This is, why, this is beautiful. He says, all of this is happening while you're always wearing white. Your garments are always white. Listen, um, God's people in the, in the scriptures wore white, predominantly when they came to the temple, right, to give their alms, to give their sacrifices. They came, and at the bottom, they actually had this place where you could bathe and clean yourselves. You put on a white robe. You'd walk up to the temple to give your sacrifices. It's awesome because it all symbolized you're not just forgiven of sin, you're cleansed of your sin. So as a people of God, enjoying good food, enjoying good drink, enjoying our marriages, enjoying as we're single people that we love to spend time with and the communities put around us, we enjoy all those things remembering as we're wearing white that we're cleansed sinners. We don't enjoy those things as guilty sinners. We enjoy them as redeemed sinners. And so he's saying to us, You enjoy this because of who you are as a son who's cleansed by Jesus Christ. Some of us, you either don't believe or you have forgotten that you've been cleansed. It's called expiation, big theology word, right? Sin is not just forgiven. Sin is removed. Sin is clarified. Sin is cleansed. Some of you live today with Past deep regrets, shame. You cringe as you consider the sins that you've participated in and acted upon. And if you are in Christ, if you are a son and daughter of Jesus Christ, those don't have any hold on you. So we enjoy these things as freed men and women, knowing we've been not only forgiven but cleansed. I mean, maybe there are areas where you don't enjoy anything because you don't believe you've been cleansed. That you're wearing white. It's deeply encouraging. Some of us need to know that so we can live the new life enjoying it the way God intended us to do it. Because God's saying to us, go enjoy your life now wearing the cleansing work of my son Jesus. Some of us are almost still fighting with him trying to make him do it again. So he says, do all these things with God. Then he says, enjoy your wife with God. Invite God into the center of that. Uh, Do you spend time looking for ways to enjoy your spouse or just manage them? Don't be harsh. Don't be stubborn. Don't be neglectful. Maybe you just simply talk about why you enjoy being together. And maybe it's only one thing. Right? I mean, maybe, maybe honestly, maybe your place is on the rocks, there's a place that's hard. Maybe you find one way to say, I deeply enjoy this 
with you and you move from there. But it involves Jesus Christ. It involves God and his work. It's centered there. It's with him. The oil's not lacking on your head. The presence power of his name is there. Invite the Lord into your marriage. And this goes both ways, man. Not just for husbands to wives, wives to husbands too. Do you enjoy one another? Or are you just always harsh? Always looking for the ways they're not doing what you think you deserve as a spouse, right? That removes the cross of Jesus Christ and now you're living on this operative love, this demanding love, when the gospel love says, no, you love because you don't deserve it at all. And you respect because you don't deserve it at all anyways. If you're single, do you enjoy the people that you love dearly? Do you encourage them? Is Jesus the center of that? Now let me give uh, a couple of questions I want us to uh, think about. In one of my old journals, I found them very, very helpful. Uh, because here's my concern. We hear about all this, and we don't know how to actively walk in it. Okay, so let me just give us kind of five things, just good questions. You can write them down if you want, or you can just look at them and think. This is a book of wisdom, so let's provide wisdom underneath wisdom. Okay, here's what it says. Number one, um, have you asked God for wisdom? Well, that's a good place to start, right? Not, hey, can I do this, not do this. It's always, is it wise? You see that throughout the New Testament. So have I appealed to the Holy Spirit of God in this certain situation? Is this a good, godly gift for me to have and to enjoy as a family with the portion God's provided? Works out with stewardship. You know what God says and all of those different dealings with your finances, with where you live, with the amount of kids you have, with the season of life you're in. Have I asked God for wisdom in that? Okay, that's, that's number one. You have to start there. It might seem obvious, but you can't go any further if you don't have divine wisdom. Okay? If you don't appeal to the Spirit of God to help you in that, then don't even move on. Number two, um, is it a violation of the law? Well, that's obvious, right? I mean, you can't do something that's uh, illegal, right? Um, no one in prison reaches everybody outside of prison. Okay, so let's just start here and realize that God has given the authorities, Romans 13. Let's operate in the guidelines and confinements that God's already established and then move forward. So now the next three, after we've worked through those, will I lose self-control and be master what I participate in? Um, this is not a green light for everybody in every avenue. You need to be watchful of your own grid with Jesus. Your heart's wicked, depraved. When he says go, some of you need to go slow. Right? It'll take you a minute. Some of you are like, yeah, that's me. Right, right. Some of you will hit you on the way out. Some of you need to go slow. Not after something to justify your sin. Romans 13 is going to show don't make provision for your flesh to gratify its desires but put on the mind of Christ. So listen, if you just got out of AA, don't head to the bar to do a Bible study. Seriously. Right? That's, not, that's not smart or wise. Don't think you can be even around the alcohol say, oh, it's all free gifts. It's given to enjoy. Well, be watchful of that. Your own grid with Jesus. If you're in here and you're new to faith and you're wrestling with doubts, you're wrestling with questions, well, maybe you need to get around godly men and women that have, give you some footing for your understanding, not just getting around people that just tell you all the craziness out there, but maybe you work towards that slowly. Questions always, is it wise, not right or wrong? Number four, will I be doing this in front of someone who I, will, who I know could fall into sin because of my actions? Listen, I've found predominantly a lot of times Christians use their liberties not for the love of others, but damnation of others. So you've got to be super careful how, you're, how you use your freedoms in Christ. 
Because God does say go. He does say enjoy these good gifts. Enjoy food. Enjoy drink. Enjoy all of these things. But scriptures say all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. What that means is it's your job as a stronger brother to watch out for the weaker brother. Because here's the problem. I would never tell you it's sinful or wicked for you to go have a beer. I mean, that's a good gift from God. Or to drink wine, that's a good gift from God. I will say that you're intrinsically evil and wicked, and God's still pruning out the residual effects of the fall. And I will say you might be mature in your faith and see the immature in your faith be around your maturity in faith and use it as a trump card for their sin. So you got to be super careful as to who you're around, who you're with, and the way that you're building them up and loving them towards the gospel, not away from it. So let's do it wisely, frugally. Yes, these are good gifts, but let's consider who we're with. True Christian maturity, guys, is always laying down your freedom for the good of others. It's not, I can do this, so I'm going to do it. That's still arrogant. It's, I'm going to always make my choices and decisions based upon the good of others, not just because I have freedom. And where you have freedom and where it's good and God-glorifying, walk and run in those places. Number five, this is very important. Am I doing this to make Christ look glorious or am I being selfish? Here's one of the interesting things I've found in nine years of ministry and only like six years of real pastoral ministry. (laughs) You've got people all over the grid, right? And they read a text that's good, 1 Corinthians. You got this here in Ecclesiastes 9. I can now go do all these things. This is my green light from God. And here's the thing. Uh, You take scripture and you misappropriate it. So you see Jesus with the drunkards and the sinners. And you say, okay, see, I can go be around them. I can be in the scene. I can do all those things. Okay, well, here's always the question I'm going to continue to ask. And I keep asking. I've asked it for years. Every time Jesus was with Zacchaeus and crowd. And in places, someone either repented of their sin or he rebuked everybody in the room. So my question always is, which one are you doing? Right? Okay, so when you're there, are you there really to make Christ look glorious? Are you really there to make friendships for the gospel? Are you in the confines of your home abusing good gifts, getting drunk, doing other things because you think, oh, well, this is just a way that I have a freedom? Or are you trying to make Christ look glorious or are you really just being profoundly selfish? And I've found nine times out of ten, the motivation is selfish ambition and not Christ's glory as an ambition. So we need to be so careful. What's your reason for this? What's your motivation for this? Is it really so that Christ might look glorious and be a gospel witness? Most of the time, it's more selfish. All right. So back to Ecclesiastes. I'm going to end with one of my favorites, work. So yes, we enjoy good food. We enjoy our wine. I love it. Those are all, by and large, practices for heaven too. Isaiah says we're going to enjoy the best wine, the best meat at the supper with the lamb. So let's enjoy those things rightly. But look at what he says. He ends with work, verse 10. And whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Sheol being death. Okay, so if 
Life here under the sun matters if you have Jesus Christ, and we know death is coming. We don't want to waste our time. We're all put in work. We're all put in vocations. And I'm not talking about paid. I'm talking about unpaid. Moms at home. I'm talking about people who do every type of work. He says, whatever you do, do it with all of your might. Now, this is, I mean, where we live in Bergen County, many of us working in the city. Do we believe this? Do we see this? He says, enjoy your work with God and do it with all your might. Why? Not because you're doing something that you love to do. It's because of who you're doing it for. Your work is holy, sacred, And it's not about, oh, I'm just in a job I don't like, so I don't have to work with all my might. I don't have to enjoy it. No, you're commanded to enjoy it, not by what you do, but who you do it for. Oil's never lacking on your head. The power presence of Christ and his Holy Spirit is never void of your work. It's involved in your work. We need a good theology of work. You can go to Colossians 3, Ephesians 6. They're going to say, you work with all of your might. Why? Because you actually do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually why you work, why you're honest, why you're not a people pleaser, why you exhaust yourself, why you check in at the right time and leave at the right time, why you're not on Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter when you should be doing your work. That's why you actually give your whole heart to your work because you're not doing it for your boss ultimately, you're doing it for Jesus Christ ultimately, and that makes it glorious if you know him. Right? I mean, if, if you know Jesus Christ, you know he's the judge. He's going to smite everyone who can't stand before him in his glory. He's going to, the one who's going to stand for righteousness for sinners, right, who have only trusted in him for their soul work of salvation. If you know this Jesus Christ, the Christ who's coming back in Revelation with a sword, right, he's going to clean house. If you know this Jesus Christ, you go, okay, I'm going to work for him. I'm going to work out of reverence for him. I'm going to do work for him because it glorifies his name. I hear people all the time, Christians, they say, well, you know, my, my boss isn't really nice or he doesn't spend his money well, so I'm not going to help him earn his business. Well, you're probably ruining your witness because of how lazy you are. Like, you're probably defaming the name of Jesus, not helping the name of Jesus. That's not your concern. Your concern is what has he asked your hands to do? What has he called you into? And it is to glorify Christ. And remember that you're doing it for him. That is holy work. It's amazing. It doesn't matter your gifts and abilities. It's like Jesus walking in with you every day to work, every day to class, every day to the hospital, every day to the construction site, every day to the architectural firm, every day as I'm pastoring. Okay, Mike, how, how are we going to do today? How are we going to image Christ today? I mean, how are we going to bring glory to my name through emails, through how I speak to others, through how I love, through how I exude Galatians 5? Man, what do I need to do today to lean my head into a scripture and text that reminds me that I'm not doing it for John Doe who's over me. I'm doing it for Jesus Christ, ruler and reigner over the heavens. How much differently would we work? For others, how am I going to build that house today? How are you going to teach that class today? How are you going to work on that homework today? How are you going to manage that company today? How are you going to manage the finances today? 
So many Christians believe their job has little to nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And the Bible will say the total opposite. It'll say your work is as inextricably tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ as your parenting, as you're a child submitting to your uh, authority, as a marriage union, as your walk in holiness. Your walk is absolutely tied to your work. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Is it evidenced in your work? A lot of people say, um, I mean, my job's really on the side, but when I go to church, when, I, when I'm in small group, when I'm being discipled, when I'm, that's when the facets of the gospel really breathe out. Okay, yes, the gathering is necessary and profound, but your other five days, six days of the week, you know how profound that is in your work that God has called you to do? Affected the fall that he redeemed for his glory? So that we might enjoy him, not because of what we do, but who we do it for. The gladness in the heart of God as he sees us work with all our might. We're motivated by Jesus in everything. The scriptures here are pleading with us as well. Enjoy your work, but be a good worker. Work at it with all your might. Delight in the depth and meaning and beauty of who your work is for. And let me give us just a category to end here um, to help us a bit. Ephesians 2 will give you this glorious walkthrough of God's work in sinners who are hostile in mind, objects of wrath. God makes us alive in Jesus Christ, bestows mercy and kindness, and all that grace he uses to make you alive, he then empowers you, right, with grace to do your work because you're his workmanship, so, so this, this amazing work of God in the gospel as he raises you to life, gives you a new mind, new heart, indwells you with his spirit, you're now compelled by that, obedient by that, you see the whole world through a new lens, and you're saying, oh, now I'm his masterpiece, that's a word for workmanship, he's refined you, he's chiseling away at rough edges, and he's using work now to be good works that in advance, he said, you're going to walk in those also that he might be glorified. So as you kind of read through that, it's amazing. The same grace that saves you empowers you to do your work well. So you're not saved to live on a bunker and sit there and be like, okay, cool. Like, what do I do? God, listen, if you're wondering what he wants you to do, you're doing it. Like, I always tell people with marriage, I mean, how did you know Kristen was the one? I'm married to her. Like, that's how I know. I mean, she was beautiful, loved Jesus, let's get married. I mean, but outside of that, like, listen, there, there's clarity here. Where, here, if you're doing what you're doing, you don't have to have all this anxiety next. I'm not saying you don't pursue and pray and think and plead. God, are the new lanes and new places you want me to go and new things you want me to do, but be in the present. Can you just be in the present and enjoy the present, trusting God with your future and not missing opportunities right in front of you to enjoy depth, meaning, and beauty in places you might totally not be looking like your job. And I know this is hard for some of us. I know that. I know that some of you are in places that you legitimately hate. That you hate waking up and going to your job. But I'm saying there's some sort of God issue going on. There's some gospel issue going on to where you're not seeing it the way God wants you to see it. You're not walking in it the way God wants you to walk in it. So here's what I'll submit to you. 
I've said this before, and I want us to hear it again. Every bit of Jesus' life was holy work. So many times where people say his real ministry started at 30. I know that. His preaching ministry, when he went out, 30 to 33, 34, before he was crucified for sin, we'll say, okay, that was, his, that was, that was when his work got really holy. Okay, but what about when he was submitting to his parents? What about when he was doing carpentry? What about when he was learning to read and write? You're saying that wasn't holy work? It was absolutely holy work. Whether you are preaching a sermon or washing dishes, it is holy work. Not because of what you're doing, but because of whose you are. And if you are in Christ, all that you do, 1 Corinthians, you do for the glory and fame and renown of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a street sweeper or a janitor or an architect or a nurse or a doctor or on Wall Street or a pastor or a preacher or an elder or a deacon. This is so great because the gospel levels this varsity and junior varsity and what you do is being more holy and more great and says, hey, there's a junk drawer. Your work you do with all your might, whether you're called to put your hand to sermons or whether you're called to put your hand to athletics, or whether you're called to put your hand to teaching or raising your family and caring for your kids, whatever it is that God puts your hands to, do with all your might because that is holy, sacred work. How many times do we hear, I do a secular job? I don't, no, it's not true. You do a sacred job just like me or one of the elders if you're in Christ. No difference. Difference in practice, difference in what we're called to do, but the holiness of it, that's profound. That God looks at it as sacred, holy work. These were good works he planted in advance for us to do so that we might walk in them. So here's what this means. Guys, first, break down your categories that say, This is holy, this is esteemable, this is more righteous. And start with, whatever your hand has been given to do, do it with all your might. With God, as your garments are wearing white. Remember, you're a cleansed, cleansed, redeemed sinner. So whether you're a mom that has the holy right calling of raising her children... You don't have to feel guilty for not working. You don't have to feel like you're supposed to be doing that. That that's more righteous, that that's more holy, that that's more sacred. If you're in a vocation, you don't have to, I don't know, buy that ease of if I were doing this, then man, then that'd be really holy and sacred and God would be more pleased with me. You don't have to believe if I were a pastor, if I were in ministry. I hear that from young people all the time. Yeah, I, if I was just in ministry, if I was doing full-time ministry, then I'm okay, that's great. You can take my spot tomorrow. Trust me. Number one, you'll see it's not holy in that sense at all, right? But you'd also see that, man, the divide is not at all what you think. That, that you being a pastor or preacher, you think now God's going to look more favorably on you? Like all of a sudden now, even in your vocation, you're meriting his grace? Solomon's encouraging us with some good words today. Where do you need to just enjoy the portion that God's laid before you? Where do you need to work harder for his glory? 
maybe even in a place that you hate, so that his name and renown might be praised. Where might you need to be watchful at at these go initiatives to where you might be not using it for the glory of Christ, but using it for selfish ambition and vain conceit? Where might you be thinking, I can't enjoy anything God gives, and he's saying, hey, go run in the yard, jump in the pool, sit in the hot tub. We need the Spirit of God's help. And listen, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know this risen Jesus Christ, listen, you will only be permanently enslaved to your work and every good gift that God gives. You will not be able to enjoy it in its entirety and fullness because you will depend on the food and the drink and the sex and the passion that God gave for his glory and the confines he gave it. You're going to be looking for ways to make that your God and the idolatry will never reach beyond your ceiling. Your work, you will pursue and look for work over and over and over instead of giving your time for the glory of God to where you where you are the gospel liberates you it actually frees you from the enslavement of all God's gifts so you can enjoy his gifts and not destroy his gifts and pervert his gifts and that's when life gets truly full John 10 I can't might have life and have it to the fullest do you know Jesus Christ have you been raised to new life? Or are you just operating in good and bad? You need to be brought to life from your deadness. Let's ask him for help this morning. Father, we absolutely need help as Christians. This morning you gave us very, very on-the-ground realities. We need to consider what this means for us as we wake up Monday morning. We need to consider what this means for us, the type of people that we walk in godliness with. We need to consider what this means for us as blood-bought citizens of a new kingdom. Would you help us see our life today as holy and sacred, not because we are, but because you've made us righteous and holy in your sight by the work of Jesus Christ? God, we ask the Holy Spirit to give great, profound, divine wisdom that is necessary to wade through the understandings and implications and complexities of the things that we feel and the ways that sin entangles us. God, would you free men and women this morning in the ways they need to be freed? Would you encourage men and women in the ways they need to be encouraged? Would you help men and women in the ways they need to be helped? And God, would your word be our guiding light, empowered and fueled by and illuminated by the Spirit of God, remembering that you are our Father who cares for us. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.